0: the title I've chosen for my talks this week may surprise you, God's Disguises. Why should God ever want to use disguises? Surely he would be the last person to do such a thing. Well, the principle that God sometimes uses concealment is stated in various places in Scripture. Particularly, there's a thought-provoking verse in Proverbs 25 verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. So we see that it rests with God to conceal and with kings to search out. Now kings stand in a certain way for the highest level of humanity. And so one of the highest achievements of humanity on its highest level is to search out what God has concealed. Perhaps you could say that that's what we'll be doing together in my talks this week. We'll be searching out some of the things that God has concealed. Well, why does God conceal things? Or more specifically, why does God use disguises? Why does he come to us in a form that has to be searched out? Let me say, first of all, that there are three things that God does not want to do when he comes to you and me. Number one, he does not want to overawe us with his power. He does not want us to receive him merely because he's all powerful, and if we don't receive him, he could crush us in an instant, take away our breath, and end our life. That's not a motive that's pleasing to God for us to receive him. Secondly, God does not want to entice us with his blessings. God is able to bless us in every area of our lives. He's able to give us all we need and much more. He's able to heal us. He's able to provide us with financial abundance. He's able to solve all our problems. But he doesn't want us to receive him merely on the basis of what we get from him. He doesn't want to entice us with his blessings. Thirdly, God does not want to satisfy mere intellectual curiosity. For some people, life or the universe is like a jigsaw puzzle made up with many different pieces. And one of those pieces is labeled God. And some people just want to be able to put God in his right place in the puzzle. Well, God isn't really just a piece in the puzzle, see. And if we have that attitude towards him, he won't reveal himself to us. I've heard people say things like, if I can put God in a test tube, I'll believe in him. To me, that's ridiculous. Any God that can be put in a test tube isn't a God worth believing in. So let me just restate those three things that God does not want to do when he comes to us. He does not want to overawe us with his power. He does not want to entice us with his blessings. He does not want to satisfy mere intellectual curiosity. Well then, what does God want? I think we can put it this way. God wants that we desire God for himself, apart from his power or his blessings or any other benefits. See, God doesn't look at us as we look at one another. God looks right down into the innermost depths of our hearts. There's a verse in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, that says this so clearly and vividly. The prophet Samuel had been sent to the house of Jesse to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the next king of Israel. And Jesse produced seven fine, upstanding, handsome young men and uh, presented them to Samuel and said, Which is to be the king? Samuel was impressed by every one of them, but every time he was impressed by their outward appearance, God said, that isn't the one. So they'd run through all the sons that Jesse had presented, and still there wasn't a king. And Samuel said, isn't there anyone else? And Jesse said, rather reluctantly, there's one more, but he's out in the pastures looking after the sheep. Well, that Eighth son, the one that they didn't bother much with, was David, the future King of Israel. And when he came in, the Lord said, This is the one, anoint him. But this is what the Lord said to Samuel Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. That was of each of the previous sons. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So God doesn't look at our outward appearance. He looks at our heart. And at the same time, he doesn't want us to go merely by outward appearance or outward external things when we receive God. God wants us to receive him for himself without these tremendous attributes of power or riches or wisdom. Somehow, in his tremendous humility. God doesn't want to be wanted for things. He wants to be wanted for himself. And he arranges situations and circumstances in the lives of every one of us that sooner or later will put us to the test. Are we seeking God? Are we believing in God because of what we get? Or because of God himself? Now what are the things that God looks for in our hearts? I'm going to give you a series of requirements. What then are the things that God does look for in our hearts? I'm going to read you three passages from the Old Testament, two from the book of Psalms, one from the prophet Isaiah. I believe these state very clearly and consistently what God really looks for. Psalm 34 verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. An alternative reading for crushed in spirit is contrite. Actually, by its root from the Latin, contrite means just that. Somebody who's been crushed, who's been rubbed down, who's kind of broken. I think we use the word broken in modern speech just in the same way. So God is looking for those who are broken, crushed. Isn't that strange? And then in Psalm 138 verse 6, Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. So God is looking for the lowly. It also says he knows the proud from afar. And if you ask my opinion, that's where he keeps them, afar off. Proud people really don't have access to God. And then in Isaiah 57 verse 15, there's a most beautiful verse that describes God's eternal glory majesty. For this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever. Another translation says, he who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place. Isn't that awesome and impressive? But then it goes on to say, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. So though God is so high and majestic and inhabits eternity, and though that's his dwelling place, he has one other dwelling place of his choice. He says, I live also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. So what is God looking for? The contrite and the lowly. Those who are not proud, not arrogant, not self-confident, not self-reliant, Those in many cases who've passed through some kind of experience in life that has stripped them of self-confidence and arrogance and left them, in the true meaning of the word, broken. That's what God is looking for. The lowly, the contrite, the broken. Contrite means that we're genuinely sorry for wrongdoing. See, lots of people do wrong and then suffer unpleasant consequences, and they want to get out of the consequences, but they're not really sorry for the wrongdoing. Well, God doesn't really want to entertain those people. He wants to entertain the people who not merely want to get out of the consequences, but are sorry for the wrongdoing that brought them to those consequences. And so, God comes to us in disguises. He comes to us in such a way that if we're not sensitive, and if we're not looking for what God is in his innermost nature. If we're just concerned with externals or our own selfish ends and purposes and desires, we'll miss him. That's why God comes to humanity in disguises. And it's so important that we learn to recognize those disguises. Otherwise, God may come to us and we may miss him.